0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name is Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from C21 editorial director Ed Waller, news editor Clive Whittingham and drama quarterly editor Michael Pickard about the latest trends and issues shaping the international TV marketplace as the virtual version of MIPTV 2021 gets underway online. Today marks the start of MIP-TV, or Digital MIP-TV, as it's been renamed this year the virtual version of the annual TV market in Cannes, cancelled for the first time last year as COVID-19 swept the globe and once again continuing online in 2021. And here we are again, the C21 team in our bedrooms, home offices or garden sheds with international travel bans still preventing us from returning to La Croisette and the Palais de Festival to dig out all the latest industry scoops for you dear listeners. But as ever, there's plenty still to discuss, so I'm delighted to be joined by C21 Editorial Director Ed Waller, News Editor Clive Whittingham, and Drama Quarterly Editor Michael Picard. Hello everybody, welcome to the show. Hi there. Hello. You? You? Ed, let's start with you. Um, we recently wrapped production on our usual string of C21 magazines that publish around this time each year. Um, just tell us from from going through those, what are the hot industry trends that uh, are top of mind at the moment.
1: Thanks, John. Um, yeah, what, we published um, our uh, MIP TV issues this year as PDF, and we we reintroduced our iPad versions of those issues. It's still a bit early for us to contemplate going back to print. But nevertheless, we included a lot of uh, uh, trends that we've uncovered from talking to the business on a daily basis. We wrap those up into a new editorial uh, product called the C21 Content Business Trends Report, which debuts in the MIP TV issue uh, this week. Um, it's quite interesting talking to distributors and buyers and producers over the last year about you know how things have impacted, and it's only sort of in 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 this year that we're seeing a lot of the big trends sort of materializing everyone was talking a lot about production hiatuses and shutdowns and all the rest of it last year but now it's that the the consequences and ramifications of those are beginning to be felt um one of the Big trends that doesn't really need much of an introduction, but it's it is the biggest trend that we've we've encountered when we talk to people in the business is is the obviously is not COVID. Funnily enough, it's the um, the streaming situation with the US studios. You know the fact that one of the globe's biggest suppliers of content has decided to sort of overhaul its uh, distribution plan regarding third party uh, licensees. That's that's having a much bigger impact. And, and it's seen as having a much more permanent impact than whatever's happening in terms of production shutdowns due to COVID. You know the fact that um, those services are launching—it's it's it's a sort of double-edged sword for the business, really, because people see that as both an opportunity and a threat. You know, if you're if you're a, a buyer that is used to having a pipeline from Hollywood coming to your your schedule, um, whether it's through output deals or cherry picking shows from the LA screenings or whatever, you know, for that to suddenly be more or less shut down and and you to um, not just be denied the sort of us product that you're used to, but have to scrabble around and, and find alternatives and then suddenly find that U.S. product on a rival service in your home market that's shaken up the business uh, in, on, on many levels so we've seen you know over, over the last year we've seen various attempts for you know networks that are traditionally used to getting that product having to either dip into the acquisitions budget go back to being an acquisitions network in many cases and rekindle relationships that they've uh, perhaps had let gone cold with the distribution business because they were so far into their original production plan um or they they've started to sort of um uh, find alternatives from other parts of the world and there's, there's there's obviously other ramifications for that if you're a distributor then again it's this this strategy has presented opportunities on many levels because you uh are suddenly got a whole load of new potential buyers on in in the in the market that even though they've got a really fat pipe of content going back to their Hollywood studios, they they all want a local offering as well in each of the markets that they're in. And that's a, an increasing number. And so, you know, whether it's HBO Max or Disney Plus or what have you, they, they all want something to supplement all their Hollywood product. And that usually comes from uh, buying local shows from local distributors or indeed commissioning locally. Uh, And so distributors are rubbing their hands with glee to some extent at the fact that there's so many of these new big streamers in the market. Uh, And also um, they're finding that those those third-party channels that previously had a pipeline to Hollywood are are now having to buy Product to fill the fill the gap as it were, so that they're, they're making um, making hay while sun, while sunshine certainly. Another big trend that came out of this report was the rise of regional SFODs, the local SFOD industry around the world. That seems to be a, a thing that's been bubbling away for a little while, but there's so, so many of them now. You know, just off the top of my head, Stan and Binge in Australia, in Germany you've got TV Now and Join. You know, Salto in France. The, the, the list goes on, and and that's that's adding a whole new dimension to if you're a distribution company, because Previously, it was this dilemma of do I do a local deal with the linear networks on a territory by territory basis, or this big global SVOD, uh deal? Uh, now there's something in between—a a patchwork of local SFOD deals—that you know gives you another another sort of string to your bow, as it were. And, and we're now beginning to see those local SFODs teaming up and partnering with each other in the way that linear channels did ten or fifteen years ago. So it's 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 giving much more opportunity distri- to distributors to keep this sort of patchwork of deals that they can that they're so used to this traditional licensing model rather than giving away all of their ip on a global basis in perpetuity like they have to have have done with certain um, global SVOD deals so that that sort of that balance that they've had to do that that sort of modeling that goes on whether it's worth more to them to do a global SVOD deal as opposed to a patchwork of territory by territory linear deals that's all shaken up as well because of all these new local SVODs.
0: And one of the other trends I think in in the report as well is that with so much US content off the market because of the the trend that you referenced earlier with us streamers withholding a lot of it for their own uh, services you know what what impact is that having elsewhere what's what's the ripple effect uk content is uh, apparently on the rise
1: yeah, it certainly is. The, the buyers and sellers that we've spoken to have echoed this, uh, particularly around uh, last month's London screenings. We, we had a lot of people telling us that the clients that they're speaking to have said to them, you know, we can't get the stuff that we want from Hollywood, or the kind of stuff that we can get from Hollywood isn't going to work for us because uh, it's been retained uh, by those studios. So, what have you got? You know, what have you got that that we can fill the gap with? And it seems that the the UK uh, is 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 picking up a lot of that slack. You know, the packed release, a lot of data. Around Around the turn of the year and and and, and around the London screenings, you know, six percent rise year on year in in exports. That's quite a substantial figure you know so the the uk seems to be benefiting from the the fact that the uh, the the us studios are retaining so much content um and even 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 within the us you know the uk program sales into the us are increasing because uh, because of this very factor you know there's there's so many of the, the channels over there that have been denied content either by the streaming strategies of the studios or, or pandemic related shutdowns. so they're, they're snapping up uk shows too so it seems that there's um there's a real uptick for uk distribution companies uh, in the consequence of, uh, of this streaming strategy
0: and a rise in non-exclusive licensing arrangements as well. Yeah,
1: that's something that is has been a, a relatively a bit of a surprise. Really, you would think that given the the lack of original and, and fresh content, people would be fighting over it. There would be a you know that would have uh, the, the usual impact that heightened demand has on prices. But it seems that um, there's been a, a strategy, for, certainly amongst certain distributors and certain buyers, where they're more much much happier to to sort of think beyond the sort of exclusivity and embrace a new world of shared programming. It seems that that's applying to networks as well as platforms around the world and and some of the, um, even some of the US studios have been encouraging this. Viacom CBS, in particular has has said that, you know, they're moved to this co-exclusive model so that they can actually retain some of their shows for their own Paramount Plus service, but at the same time not shut the door to their uh, existing traditional clients. So they're, you know, Bob Backish, the CEO of Viacom cbs announced that you know at the turn of the year you know we're moving to this cl- co-exclusive non-exclusive model so that they can you know keep paramount plus happy as well as their traditional clients and it, it, you know it's it's in sharp contrast to some of the other studios perhaps that have, have sort of said you know we're keeping this for our own platform and and you you know you can't have it kind of thing so there's a different strategies emerging but certainly amongst the platforms particularly the avod platforms they've always been more amenable to non-exclusive but even some of the SVODs, they're, sh- they're sharing you know there was some big u.s deals where peacock was sharing quite big titles with uh, paramount plus and sh- showtime and things like that so that's that's another big trend that we reflected in our c21 content business trends report
0: so we've got two major trends going on here contrary ones we've got increased verticalization but also increasing collaboration amongst parties who are not involved in those big consolidated groups perhaps
1: yeah that was another big trend that we highlighted the sort of you know Co-production has, has been a big buzzword for a number of years now. But it seems every year the number of potential co-production partners is increasing and spreading out, whether it's, you know, A VODs, S or, or channels from other parts of the world that haven't been involved in co-production or even original production are now feeling the need to do so. Uh, and so the sort of the the boom over over the last year has been, you know, co-production collaboration in, in, in various forms. You know, whether it's the EBU launching its drama initiative last year, uh, which was a sort of co-production drive between ebu members and that was on top of the the alliance that the co-production pack set up by public broadcasters in france italy and germany and, and nordvision's nordic 12 partnership so there seems to be these official sort of um co-production partnerships that are being forged on top of just ad hoc co-productions based on a, a particular show uh, and more more companies are getting involved with that we've seen topic the svod stream from the states getting involved in co-productions in finland you know big Afri- south african broadcasters like multi-choice getting involved in co-productions for the first time with Fremantle. it seems that every year new new companies and new partners are joining their co-production party so uh, it's obviously in response to what's going on with the us studios and that sort of vertical integration move that you you alluded to so while some companies are are doing that other companies are having to sort of re-strategize to sort of uh, survive in that that vertically integrated world
0: clive you'd normally be covering mip doc that's the strand of uh, mip tv focused on the factual space again there's a virtual version of that taking place reflected in uh, in the C21 magazine. So what are the big stories in in documentary and non-scripted right now Discovery Plus presumably following on from uh, the conversation around US streamers.
2: Yeah, I've been writing a lot about this for uh, for the magazine that we've got out this week. Uh, Discovery Plus launched at the turn of the year had already registered 12 million subscribers um by the end of February, start of March. Um, Discovery have been quite reticent to go into the streaming game. David Zaslav, the CEO there, has commented on other people's streaming strategies without uh, ever showing his hand on, on his. And Discovery have done that this year. Like I say, 12 million subs. They've been stocking up. Um, they've been making big IP plays um, in this direction for a number of years. Everybody sort of raised their eyes a little bit when they paid more than 14 billion dollars to, to buy out scripts, which in theory was a group of cable nets just at a time when everybody was talking about how us cable was dead but i remember going to can and, and interviewing david zaslav and him just sort of shrugging his shoulders and, and saying well it's obviously an ip play because scripts had tens of thousands of hours of bingeable home garden and lifestyle content that they'd never exploited internationally so it wasn't uh picking up cable nets it was uh it was an ip play exactly the same as the deal they did for the Olympics um, in Europe, deals they've done for cycling and golf, deals more recently with the BBC for their natural history content. They've been hoarding IP for the launch of Discovery Plus, basically. Um, in their latest earnings call, um, he said that there were, there were 55,000 hours of content on the service at launch, and 93% of that had already been watched um, by the start of March. So they've been gearing up for a long time. and um, the question now is uh, really what effect it's going to have on producers and uh, and distributors. Is it going to be, is it going to do for unscripted what Netflix did for scripted? Uh, you know, are we going to see budgets rising and, and big glossy projects and, and things like that? So far, I mean, on the, on the good side, it's a new commissioner and acquirer of content. They, they've got a big appetite. They've moved into areas that the discovery channels uh, weren't in before, like formats and, um, We've seen them pick up uh, Channel 4's controversial naked attraction format in a couple of uh, European territories. Um, They've acquired Love Island for Italy, which you would never normally associate with the Discovery uh, linear channels. So it's a new buyer of formats, which is good. Um, They're also in for the sort of headline grabby feature docs that obviously have worked really well for Netflix and driven subscribers for them seen what killed maradona Um they've got a savile project they've got a feature doc out of sweden about the estonia ferry disaster things like that you wouldn't again have been able to pitch and got away with a discovery linear channel previously but you can now with discovery plus um so that's that's the good news it's a, it's a buyer coming into the factual market with deep pockets acquiring stuff that they weren't acquiring before the flip side of that is as discovery has always been infamously uh, fastidious about acquiring rights and hundred percent to whatever show it's commissioning because it wanted to air it on its channels in 196 territories. As it, uh, as it always famously said, that's only going to be exacerbated by having a streamer. It's going to want every project to be on the streamer all the way around the world. So when you sell to discovery, that's basically you've done your show, you get that one deal. So we're waiting to see what kind of money they pay for those commissions and acquisitions. Um, there's also a, a theory that obviously the individual discovery networks uh, around the world, and particularly in Europe, have their own commissioning teams. There's a commissioning team in Italy, there's there's one in Sweden, there's one in the UK that did use to commission local projects now we've seen with disney and discovery are, are, are saying similar things when we interview them now that whenever a pitch comes in the first uh, thing they think of is does this work for the streamer it's not will this work on tlc will this work on science channel it's does this work for the streamer first and foremost so although it's a new buyer with deep pockets are we actually going to see discovery the discovery bouquet of channels overall commissioning less? which would take a key buyer in key markets out uh, out of circulation if you see what i mean
0: also a question mark i guess about you know how much uh, external commissioning there there is going to be moving forwards discovery obviously owns all three media all three media owns silverback for example uh, a big natural history producer uh, a bit of uncertainty i guess in the market as to whether they're going to go down the same route that we're seeing um that we discussed earlier with the uh, the US studios sort of increasingly warehousing their own IP and 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 focusing on that to power their own streamer.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, we did a story recently about the 500 hours being picked up out of the all three media international catalog for the Discovery um the Discovery Plus platform which which does speak to that. It would make sense it's the streaming model like you say that we've seen you do exclusive talent deals um, or you acquire production companies outright and and you tie them down so that they can only make stuff for you. I think we will see a bit of that. That said that criticism and fear that hasn't that's not really a new thing with discovery. They invested in all three media a very long time ago and have acquired production companies uh, like betty and and things like uh, raw tv and and things like that, um even way before they had a streamer. and it, I remember writing and doing pieces around the time saying, well, will this reduce? Um, the amount of third party acquisitions and commissions. And it hasn't really. The Discovery Plus platform is obviously very hungry for content. The interview that we've got in the magazine with Miriam Lopez Otazu, who is on their EMEA team, says there's no, they haven't got a set number of hours they want each year. And, you know, once we've commissioned 150 hours of originals from the UK, we're done for the year. It's It's project by project. Um, They're obviously very hungry for content. Like I say, 55,000 hours at launch. A lot of that will come from the US and a lot of it will be a sort of bingeable, um, more reality than factual. They often talk about 90 Day Fiance um, and, uh, and shows that come from TLC. When they're when they're talking up the streamer, but they, like I say, they have been in the market for feature docs as well. So I don't think that hunger is going to be satisfied by the production companies and distributors that they've got investments in or will have investments in. I think it will be a mixture.
0: And big hire for them last week with uh, Toby Faulkner joining from Facebook.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I say, Toby Faulkner had obviously been commissioning originals for Facebook and is a is a big name. They really are going all in on Discovery Plus. The commissioning teams that were in place for their individual channels around the world are still in place. Um, it's not one set of commissioners for the streamer and and one set for the linear nets. They're now commissioning uh, for both, but very streamer-focused. It's all about how it's going to work for the streamer. Um, like I said, they've spent big money on a uh, natural history deal with the BBC, big money on uh, the rights for the Olympics, which is going to find its home on the, on the streamer in Europe. So they, they really are all in. I don't think Toby Faulkner will be the last big name uh, commissioner we see going into to discovery to lead this
0: mike um streaming obviously a key driver of the uh drama market as well as we all know um the crown netflix hit series the uh the executive producer of that suzanne Mackey. she's among the keynote speakers at digital mip tv can you tell us a little bit about her and and why you think there's a there's a spotlight being shone on her at the moment
3: yeah um, um suzanne I, I don't think we'll need much introduction to, to drama executives certainly in the uk i mean she's been at left bank pictures for uh, you know more than a decade and, and obviously left bank is uh, one of the foremost you know producers of drama from the uk she's she's worked on the crown um obviously which has just been a huge success for netflix um and then at the end of last year it was announced that she's she's leaving to set up or- orchid pictures which um if uh you know as we've read from as i've read from reports that uh she'll you know continue her close partnership with netflix um under this new guise and, and be picking up um you sort of new projects and working with new talent uh for the streamer it seems so um i think you know there'll be a lot of interest not only in in the crown which is you know the fourth season which obviously featured diana and, and margaret thatcher has been such um a talking point not just in in television circles but in in the news you know commentariat so uh <laughs> i'm sure she might be able to shed a bit of light on on season four what's to come up in season five which i believe we may not get for at least another year um and then obviously what what's in store for her um with her orchid pictures label coming up um i mean she's it's 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 gonna be a quiet uh, digital MIP, I think, for for people interested in drama. There's lots of showcases from from distributors. Sadly there's no Cannes series, um, which we've become, you know, become accustomed to seeing the pink carpet uh, in Cannes in, in sort of April time. Um, and it was only a couple of months ago that we, you know, that was still going to happen in in some form uh, physically, but uh, unfortunately that's now been shifted to to MIPCOM in October later this year. Um, so we look forward to seeing that back, and and that's meant a lot of the the sort of development and pitching conversations that would normally happen around MIP TV have also, you know, likely to be postponed, but. There's still a plethora of drama to uh, to look out for and there's the MIP drama uh, showcase that has happened for the last few years. They've got their official selection of 11 series they've picked up to highlight and, and screen over the next couple of weeks a couple of uh, shows i've picked out there's one coming up a channel 5 series in the uk uh, that's being sold by sony called amberlyn um who people may recognize the name henry the second wife who who took a, a nasty turn at the end but that her her kind of story and and the last few months of her life have been turned into a psychological thriller so i think that's um something to look out for and might might upend the uh, historical drama um sort of genre somewhat there's also Whitstable Pearl, which um, people may know has been in uh, the news for a little while. Uh, Cineflix is selling that as an Acorn TV original based on Julie Wassmer's novels about Pearl who lives in the seaside resort of Whitstable and is a restaurant owner. Uh, come detective agency owner so that's something for um the, the crime buffs among us and i think that stands out particularly because it's uh oistin carlson the norwegian writer and director behind you know he's been involved in shows such as lily hammer exit bargain and one night um so he's he's um got a you know a good cv behind him um and it'd be interesting to see what he does with uh, these novels that you know could be taken in kind of a midsummer uh midsummer murders kind of style but with his uh you know pedigree it, it could be something entirely different so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out and just something else that sort of uh took my fancy was agatha christie's sven Hearson. it's um Swedish crime story Uh, it may not be familiar with with many people if you don't know Agatha Christie's work sort of inside and out but Sven is actually a a fictional detective created by one of the characters in Christie's books Ariadne Oliver so it's a a very meta series um, and Swedish crime obviously is is, uh, still very popular as it has been over the last sort of decade so um, that could be something to watch out for as well
0: production's back underway in many territories but um clearly not up to pre-pandemic levels and we all know that scripted was one of the the hardest hit areas of uh, of the business so um plenty of work going on in development but you know what what's your sense as to how the drama supply chain is is being affected
3: uh well <laughs> my my sense of of the drama industry at the moment is just uh, i think one of complete awe to be honest i mean I've, you know, rarely leave my house at the moment, apart from take to take my kids to school. And, and we're in the Easter holidays at the moment, so I haven't been doing much of that over the last few days. But, you know, speaking to writers and directors and actors, you know, uh, most days of the week now, I mean, it's just remarkable how um, they're just getting on with the job pretty much. Um, it does seem to me that the shows that have been hardest hit have actually been the ones that started before the pandemic, because obviously as we turn back, you know, this time last year, you know showrunners uh, producers were having to you know stand up in front of their crews and cast on location wherever they might be people you know among them from all over the world and and tell them you know we're shutting up shop time to go home we'll see you soon and and not really knowing what would happen and obviously um, as, you know, we've covered on C21 over the past year and any drama, coursely as well, you know, there was a lot of there was a period of what, two, three months um, in most countries where things were just shut and no one really knew what was happening. But slowly the industries reopened, plans were put into action and things started moving again. And I think a year on people know the job at hand now and, and TV crews are, are are nothing if if not resourceful in, in in times of crisis. And I think what we've seen really is, is once rules are established, bubbles are established, masks have kind of sadly become normalised, people are, are getting on with a job without too much fuss because the overwhelming feeling from what people have been telling me is they're just absolutely delighted to be working. And, and I think we can all appreciate um, that sentiment and you know i think in terms of dramas going forward i mean we've seen with the bbc recently announcing eight new dramas in one slate i mean they're certainly not shying away from from commissioning at the moment and that's certainly the the, the view that i take you know most in most countries around the world similarly productions although they may be adding a week or two in terms of scheduling and they're obviously more expensive because they have to now factor in, I guess, insurance and, and testing, obviously, that's still going on two, three times a week, depending on what bubble you might be in. Um, you know, productions are moving forward and, and potentially the, the biggest challenge at the moment is is the international kind of co-production angle, whether that's people developing ideas together where they might have bumped into each other on the Quasette, those kind of talks you know, still aren't really happening. It's, it's hard on Zoom and um, getting actors in and out of different countries or, or moving locations. I mean, that's still, you know, very problematic. So people are having to be resourceful find new locations think of you know different actors maybe to, to cast or um it was interesting i spoke to Mae martin who's the creator of Feel Good, um which won the the comedy drama award at the c21 awards recently and she's just finished season two which is going to be on netflix soon and she was telling me lisa kudrow the, the friend star flew in to the uk to, to film because uh you know she wanted to do it and and so things are still happening like that so we might think it's all doom and gloom but things are happening things are moving it might not be back to to normal yet but um it's great to see that you know where there's a will there's a way and tv drama is, is still going
0: so as you say, Mike, things by no means back to normal yet. I mean, we would have been down in in, in Cannes and uh, Saturday night would have seen us down at Club C21 celebrating the International Format Award winners. Uh, those are going to be announced later this week. But, um, Ed, I think you can tell us about the honoree of this year's Gold Award.
1: Yeah, I can't uh, speak to the winners of all the categories because we're going to be announcing that this week. But uh, we've already announced that um, Annette Roma the... Uh, danish format pioneer who previously worked at tv2 is the gold award winner for this year i mean she's she's in great company you know going back to sort of when we started this you know just listing some of the names that she's now amongst you know merv griffin stephen leahy peter basil reg grundy you know that david lyle the late great david lyle stephen lambert you know Annie Vergalius. So she's, she's in great company. And, um, you know, I spoke to Annette recently just to uh, produce a, a sort of a keynote video for, for our coverage of the event. And uh, just looking back on some of the shows that she picked up, you know, Ready Steady Cook and Secret Millionaire, Deal, Deal or No Deal, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? She's, she goes back to 1988. So her career spans some of the most uh, sort of seismic events of, of the business, you know, the, the growth of pay TV, the move to digital, the rise of reality TV, you know, the whole impact of the internet and social media all happened on her watch at at tv2 where she worked for 32 years she she was saying that even back then the idea of buying a format was sort of not just unheard of but frowned upon because it it meant that you couldn't generate your own tv show ideas you know it's just getting that over the line Uh, never mind making a hit you know just the idea of buying a format seemed to be quite a big uh, a big project but um you know and it was just interesting to to hear her anecdotes about how her career has sort of intertwined with various other gold award winners over the years notably annie Vegalius, who she picked up her first format from this is your fridge and, and you know she's worked with Stephen Leahy, Trish Kinane and you know Peter Bazalgette, and all these people. That it's it's uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's it was just great and interesting talking to her for this keynote. But uh, some of the things that she was saying, you know, just the the trends that she was she was she was talking about, you know, but some of the the points she was making about the future direction of the business is, was interesting. You know the you know the move to sort of being hyper local, you know, to compete with what the the global streamers are doing, you know obviously broadcasters in territory by territory sort of world can't really compete on on that global scale but they can really make things local and hyper local and she was saying that that kind of format that speaks to that hyper locality is is going to be in demand um and just talking about all the development that's been happening over the last year that's one of the things that we've picked up on in conversations with people from the format space is that there's been so much development over the last year because producers and and creators are sort of locked down that there's going to be this sudden spurt of all new ideas and it might it might impact the the market for formats you know people might necessarily not want to license too many formats because they've been developing their own for so, so long but uh, it was just interesting and, and great just chatting to Annette about some of the uh, the trends that, that she's uh, she's you know spotted and 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 uh, capitalized on the I mean she's obviously now a, buying for a production company STV in Copenhagen so it's a very different business that she's in now you know buying for a network compared to buying from a, a production company is a very different skill set but um you know, it's it's, it's still it's still still great to celebrate uh, creativity, not just in the in the creation of formats, which is something that the International Format Awards have have done uh, over the years. But you know, we need to reflect that the risk that buyers take in buying and taking a risk on the untried ideas, and you know that's something that uh, we haven't perhaps celebrated quite so much in in looking at the list of of honorees over the last years. But uh, you know, with Annette, we certainly are celebrating that, and um, it's great to be presenting that. Uh, in association with um, uh, not just C21, but Entertainment Masterclass, Frapper and MIP Formats. Uh, And so that will all be announced this week, along with the winners of all the the categories of of formats. So keep an eye out for that on c21media.net.
0: Okay, well, congratulations to Annette. And as Ed says, stay tuned to C21 this week for news on all the format award winners. Thanks to my guests today, Ed Waller, Clive Whittingham, and Michael Picard. That's all we've got time for in this episode, but stay up to date with all the latest from this year's virtual MIP TV as well as across the international TV industry by following us online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening.